podcast where we talk to people from the world of audio about their ideas, opinions, and methods. In this episode of Signal Path, we sit down with Chicago's very own Tim Kinsella, a uniquely formative force behind such influential bands as Cap and Jazz, Joan of Arc, Owls, and Make Believe, among many others. We'll talk with Tim about his creative life, process, and commitment. Stay tuned for Signal Path. Tim Kinsella, I think your Wikipedia page describes you as a musician. That's the first American musician. I think uh, is what yeah. it says. Um, <laughs> Both would be accurate. And um, But you're also described as a writer and filmmaker. Yeah, I haven't really... Um, I had like a filmmaking phase that feels less present to me. Okay. I mean, I'm not particularly comfortable with being American or a musician, but I can't deny those. And I do write every day. Um, but yeah, filmmaker, it's more, that's like, uh, writing sort of came out of the frustration of filmmaking bloomed naturally out of the kinds of records I was making at the time with just like kind of big, they were ambitious with big casts and a lot of organizing. And then it was just sort of like evolved into films. Um, and then that became very difficult there's a lot of moving parts and and i really started writing books because it was like oh i can do something on this scale but i don't need to organize how to feed 15 people and how to move people around and where's the electricity but the writing i see you've got a book looks like that's due to be released yeah i just uh finished six years i was working on it and yesterday i just finished the edit so um I, uh, and that's called Sunshine on an Open Tomb, the third got... novel, and then there's one book of tour diaries. Okay, and so the tour diaries, uh, when were what what tours were those? That was all. Um, I did this band Make Believe, which started in 2003. Uh, started spring of 2003. Joan of Arc went on tour for three months. And I've done three-month tours three times in my life. That might have been the last one. Is that the longest? Yeah. That's really long. Like, it's very disorienting to be in a different city every day for 90 days. Um, but it's just like six weeks U.S., six weeks Europe, back-to-back. Um, all three times I've done it, I've had sort of like a nervous breakdown when I get home. I don't know, like, what is my life, you know? Um, so Joan of Arc. Like we just, everyone who was in Joan of Arc, except my brother, for that long tour, we just switched instruments and became kind of like a hardcore band. And it doesn't really sound like hardcore, but in our minds, we were doing hardcore. Right. Um, wow. And so, I mean, okay. It was just all sort of based on like a black flag model of like, let's play a million shows. You know, we played like 150 shows before we recorded our first record. So the Tour Diaries is the last tour with that band where we're sort of like breaking up as we're on tour. Um, I mean, these are still like my best friends in the world, so it's not any, I mean, and all of them had been my best friends for years before that. So, um, And they figure in the Tour Diaries? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I had to like run it past all of them. They each, uh, you know, scratched a moment or two each. So the Tour Diaries were done... For the band that was breaking inspired up. by Black Flag, yeah, and yeah. Is so just to geek out on the Black Flag aspect for a second. Is the 
does does the your war from the noise yeah Dark, yeah obviously related yeah. to my war okay. yeah yeah and then so your tour diary is that inspired at all by henry rollins ah, tour no. Diary? no just doing your no. own tour diary that wasn't yeah that's I, i'm not going to go that far have no. you read uh <laughs> no uh and the tour diaries it was more just a means of coping and you know it okay. was sort of like i was so sick of being on tour 200 days a year um that i was just sort of writing like okay we're in lawrence kansas here's everything i remember about lawrence kansas um so it, it's you know um that sort of like proust or bernhard style accordion thing of just like here's the m access point and everything just expands from there so the the routing of the tour gives it a uh shape and a sort of natural narrative but it really you know it, it was a very different era it's sort of like you know there was no smartphones so there's an appendix in the book of handmade maps hand-drawn mm -hmm. maps um and i didn't think i didn't write it to be published i was just writing to deal with it and then 10 years later or eight years later maybe not nah, 10 years later I sort of realized like, oh, this is a document of like a real lost scene. Like there aren't really bands can't tour that way anymore because the technology has changed. Mm -hmm. So even like, like it's just totally different to have a phone on tour. It's a hundred percent different experience. But the disorientation for you, it still happens. Like the feeling of needing home or being lost from home or. Not after. really. I no. get, you know, I get like. The schedule gets tiring, like driving at least five, six hours a day, then loading in, sound checking, eating dinner, selling merch, playing the show, selling merch, getting paid, get somewhere to sleep by 2 a.m. and be up at 9 a.m. to drive again. Um, you know, that's not unique to us. That's just how bands that don't make a lot of money tour. And... Mm -hmm what's maybe unique to us is that we just keep doing it. Um, yeah. and we're all in our forties. Um, so this last tour was six weeks. Uh, it was, it was like two and a half and then like 10 days off, then two and a half. Um, and that 10 days in the middle sure felt like a rest while it was happening. But then as soon as we're out for day three of the second half, it's just like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. This is one long thing. And that was with Joan of Arc, mm -hmm. which is now over 20 years. You guys had your 20-year anniversary last year? Yeah. Yeah, I guess the first record would have been 97. So there's a number of other acts that are also associated with your name or you, that you've developed. This feels mm -hmm. like your, your main source now yeah, musically? I mean, yeah, well, Owls is just a sort of... Uh, you know, Cat and Jazz was the first band... We made the record when I was 19, we broke up when I was 20, and I was the oldest member of the band. Um, so we never in a million years would have imagined it would have some life beyond that. You know, I couldn't yeah. imagine being 43 years old, right? let alone that I would have to say that ridiculous band name, you know? So, um, so Owls was just a way for us to be able, the Captain Jazz people, to make more music together without having to call ourselves Captain Jazz as grown men. Um, 
but you know the same problems you know the four of us just don't get along very well <laughs> with yeah <laughs> yeah that's hard for yeah. any band on the road right i mean yeah i'm so be you very broke nice up. right now <laughs> captain uh captain jazz um that, like you said, broke up when you were 20. You were the oldest member of the band. Did you have any any expectation that would have the staying power that it's had? No, no, no. And you guys have done at least one reunion or uh, one we did, festival? Uh, we did a few shows in 2010 and a few in 2017. Wow. Last summer, yeah. Um, How does it feel to go back to that book, that songbook? Uh, it's fun. You know, the first time was weird. Um, it's really just a money thing. Like, it's not like if there weren't people offering us money to do it, we would never in a million years be like, Hey, you know, what's fun. What's, uh, let's right. dust those off, you know? Um, but yeah, my brother. So does it surprise you that people want to pay a lot of money to hear those songs again? Yeah, super bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but it's totally fun. It's like the best job I could ever imagine. You right. know, I wish we could do it a lot more. Uh, so Davey, who played guitar in Captain Jazz, wasn't interested in doing these last reunions. So my cousin Nate filled in just because he had played with all of us in different bands. Um, played in Joan of Arc and Make Believe. Plays in American Football with my brother. And uh, me, Sam, and Victor would just be like, this is amazing to play these huge shows and make so much money. And then Mike and Nate would just be like, oh, it's fun to play these little shows and make a little money, you know, because like they just don't need it. Like American football can make a million dollars if they, you know, like walk out the street to hail a cab that someone's like, here's a million dollars. So like, so they just, it's not worth it to them. But the rest of us are just like, oh my God, I'm so broke. Please, can we play more shows? But whatever. So different people in the band have different needs or perspectives on the the experience yeah, of playing it's, that stuff. Yeah, it's really crazy how much money it is, and it's still not worth doing mm-hmm. for how frustrating it is for all of us to be around each other. So that said, the breaking out the hits versus the experience of still trying to keep Joan of Arc alive as a living, breathing, creative entity. The sound in the last two records especially is light years away from what you guys were doing before. And it feels like, well, from even the last, mm. from even the beginning of Joan of Arc, Certainly from Captain Jazz, but I, I mean, it feels like it's it's evolved or it's developed in a very yeah, natural, I mean, I organic hope so. way. It's, yeah, twenty three years. It would be that's how we're able to, um, you know, remain interested ourselves. It's not like Joan of Arc doesn't make enough money that we need to stay together because we're like, oh, I need to. You know, there's like old bands that hate each other but stay together because none of them can get real jobs. Like, this is not that. This is, like, we really love making stuff together. and um, So the making stuff part of it and um, how about the, the teaching the making stuff part of it? Because I know that mm. um, you have taught mm-hmm. creative writing, and it's I think there's scenes of you teaching in the, the mm-hmm. Noisy Dock. Is yeah. That- that was uh, really just a skill that I didn't notice I'd picked up. Um, I knew I was like invested in making things in different disciplines, but uh, you know, like I never studied music. Um, 
And you know, there's like those things that seem so intimidating till you do them. And, and like, um, like my brother and Victor and Sam, who are both in Captain Jazz and Owls, are all like the three craziest guitarists I know. Like, they're so good. So I spent my whole life thinking I was like a really crappy guitarist because like I just happened that I was in a band with like these three guys who were all super good. And then it was really like only in the last few years where I was sort of like, oh, wait, I can do this. Like I, you know, but in, in my mind, it was just like an impossible thing playing guitar. I had been a guitarist in my own band for 15 years before I felt comfortable with my own skills. I just thought of records as movies it's like you know i can sort of like get by when people are speaking italian because i just pretend they're speaking spanish and it's like i can make out a lot of it you know so like sure knowing when to put that dummy filter on do you feel like there's not enough appreciation or oh it's no just... no no i mean no i mean i'm grateful for any appreciation it's weird it's like i don't think I'm motivated by wanting recognition for doing it or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean it'd be like, I appreciate any recognition because I'm just dying for attention. I it's guess, really like, I want money so I can continue to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. if you'll know when Joan of Arc is making enough money, when you never see any of us again, because we're all locked in our house making Joan of Arc records, you know, like, That's um, a good goal, stretch goal. Yeah. And it would be a very low standard. Um, You've been at the Rainbow for a long time, right? Yeah, so I, like I don't work there anymore. Pay the rent. Yeah, okay. I mean, I worked there 16 years, and I lived upstairs from it for a few. And years. that felt like it was sort of the epicenter of that Chicago scene for a good. It sure did of time. when I was a kid. When I started, I mean, when I started, there was people in Wilco and Tortoise and Five Style and um, all that 90s. In the 90s, I mean, it was also like. It doesn't get as crowded there midnight on a Saturday now as it used to be by 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. You know, it used to be like that was the zone every night of the week. Is that um, that a factor of being in your 20s and now in your 40s or is that no, it, I mean, the I mean, scene has moved on? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, it's not just me, but everyone. You know what I mean? Like um, the weirdest part of being in Chicago doing this band is feeling like I don't know anyone in Chicago anymore. Like, uh, I've had so many friends. They've all moved. Yeah. Everyone's in New York or, in, or LA. LA or I guess some people like had kids and moved to the suburbs, but no one I was really tight with, but people that were around a lot. Um, and so is there a reason for you to be here? Do you still feel a part of Chicago? Stay or? here. Um, Family? You know, I've almost, yeah, I mean, my mom, my grandma, my brother has kids that I like seeing. Um, but I don't know. I don't feel obliged to stay in town for any of them. But uh, I don't know. I've like a couple years ago, I was working in L.A. a lot and um, thought I was moving there. And then that didn't happen. And then last year I was working in New York a lot and thought I was moving there and that didn't happen. And. It's pretty easy here. Like, I mean, I like my apartment. This would be so expensive in anywhere else. And we don't really leave the house and we just like make stuff. It's very nice. My brother. 
still think of things in terms of albums which mm -hmm. I just don't think that's how a lot of music works now obviously um, and the album is just like an immersive sustained mood so you know I mean you ever see that um, that uh, Altman sci-fi film with Paul Newman called Quintet or something No, it's like so bizarre it's like straight up it's like equal parts an Altman film and like this like 80s sci-fi thing with cheap looking sets mm -hmm. and the ice cave and um, it doesn't make it less of an Altman movie because it's sci-fi, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, I don't know, sometimes like our last records, people are like, oh, there's all these like electronics now and it's like, yeah, check out the records from 96, 97, 98, 99, There's 2000, a lot of 2000, 2000, yeah, 2007, 2011. It's like sometimes there's not, sometimes there's only those. Right. Like, so I guess what I'm saying is like, I see our responsibility as sort of creating the parameters of the field that the listener then enters and, you know, we sort of guide them through sequentially like check out this corner and how about over here but it's it's supposed you know obviously you have no control over how people listen like is it in the background while you're having a conversation is it on your headphones while you're on the train those are like two very different ways right but the we can't think about that we can only think about how to create this year's version for us you know we don't want to be ham-fisted or heavy-handed about what that new thing is. So we sort of like, there's always like in the background, just material is accruing. And then a record gets made when there's kind of a tipping point in terms of process where we're sort of like, huh, we can record. You know, we never talk about like, do you have songs or do you have riffs? It's always like, oh, we can make a record like this. And then we sort of like play it out together and unravel it and then when we figure out the process then we show up and it's just there like because it's just been accruing in the background all along you know so it's like I know on my hard drive and in the next room I have like 35 guitar songs and like 35 like programmed drum machine synth songs um, depending on what Joan of Arc if tomorrow they said, let's do something like this, certain songs would get plugged in and certain wouldn't. And it's not necessarily according to, oh, this is on a guitar, this is on a synthesizer. It's just like according to whatever factors. Does that, that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are so your primary writing instruments, just to go to mm -hmm. that tech instrumentation question, it is still a, a, a electric or acoustic guitar and... 
a, mm-hmm. a keyboard or a synthesizer or a drum machine? What, what do you write on? Yeah, all those. Not acoustic guitar. I haven't. My acoustic guitar is out here somewhere just because I, in the last couple of weeks, I was like, what is this strange object? <laughs> like, uh, so I've been trying to like figure out how to touch it, but feels gross. Um, and I don't play guitar much. Yeah, I don't know. I do a lot of programming of music. And um, the last I heard a little bit, I think it was, I forget where it was, but it was about the um, being influenced a little bit by Public Enemy in this like mm-hmm. music concrete kind of way of like just assembling unique yeah, yeah. sounds into a composite sound that then can become the basis for yeah, something. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because I do feel a lot of that about 1984. Mm. Um, there's just this like sonic wall or sonic like plaster yeah yeah there's a i can tell you about the process for the one before that this land because we all agreed that we would never tell anyone what happened with 1984 that made it what it is oh okay so that's a that's a secret that's a there's there was like one we spent six years kind of like poking at it and being like huh you know melina's songs like Mm -hmm. Six years of on and off being like, huh, let's try these like that. And then being like, nah. And then six months later being like, hmm, what if we did this with Melina's songs? Nah. And then there was one kind of switch we flipped. Um, But the Public Emmy thing, I think uh, we were talking about that a lot for the record before 1984. This land is, yeah. He's got the whole this land is your land in his hands. Um... Can you say that title again? Because I love that title. He's, I don't know if I've ever said out loud before right now. He's got the whole this land is your land in his hands. Um, it's a great title. Thanks. And that so, again has this kind of built yes, sound. Yeah, so that, that's a good bits. example of like the process determining what it was. Like it, um, we decided we'd work four days each month and then not think about it for like the next three weeks. Uh, we would spend the first day setting up in a weird spot and setting up a mobile recording unit. So we did a couple art galleries and like lofts. Uh, we did the CAA gym. We did it at a abandoned recording studio. Um, so we'd spend a whole day setting up all the equipment that every one of us owns and just getting like the perfect feng shui so that anyone could touch anything at any time and it would just be like, ready it would be being recorded um and then we agreed on two bpms um it was 88 and 140 it was just like trap or techno Mm -hmm. um and then we would just sort of be like we'd start uh we'd have a blink metronome in the room and then we'd just be like uh okay, let's do this one. And we would just spend an hour, all of us moving through every instrument. And, um, yeah, so we had all these jams that were like an hour long. You know, we had like 12 hours of music and then we sort of split the responsibility of like each of us. We, we made sure two of us listened to each one and then we would just pick moments out and be like, oh, let's loop this oh, this whole chunk from here to here, let's use. Um, And then we would, like, take those moments and then craft them and record over them and warp them. Um, 
when you go back to the stage with those, mm -hmm. do you have to relearn them? Yeah. In some so that's what I was aspect? saying earlier about like we have no idea like who played what on what. Yeah, so there's definitely been moments. On well, or, on stage it's, we have we don't move around the stage as much as we each have a station with whatever we need there, but we definitely learn like. Um, I mean, Theo learns the drum part, whoever played the drums. It's most likely, more than anyone else, he is playing the drums. Mm -hmm. But also, we're all playing the drums at some point. We think about collage a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I had said the records are sort of these, like, fields that we present and create boundaries. Um, but live, we think about collage a lot, too. So, um Sometimes if we think we want to play a certain song, certain aspects of it, certain elements might get determined according to what's happening on the other songs. Because it might be like, nah, actually, we can program this drum part, but we already have these two songs in the set with similar, like, let's do the same drum beat, but live, you know? Bob Dylan has made a great career, and people have never thought yeah. he was a very good singer, but when you hear him, you know it's Bob Dylan. When you hear yeah, Neil yeah. Young, you'll know it's Neil Young, and that's very much Neil Young's voice, and it's yeah, not yeah. musically correct in right. the same way. Like, they're not like guitar shredders, right. but that voice, when you hear that voice, is more of a, a it's expression of their personality, and that's their story coming mm -hmm. out, and I think it's it's owning their own yeah. voice that makes them... It's really just a long... It's so funny to get like any sort of like encouragement or compliments for my music because it's really just like a long self-help ritual or something. <laughs> like, just be comfortable with how you talk. So you got right. a funny voice, you know. You but you have a style. And it's not you have flourishes. You mm -hmm. have a, a you do techniques that are uniquely yours, and mm -hmm. it's like you have a and it's very. Uh, soulful right mm. i mean it's it's, it's not <laughs> yeah it's, sure. you know it's not a it's not a cold detached you know it's not like a, right. a peter murphy you're not, you're right. not doing an ian curtis yeah thing. no you're very yeah it's visceral right it's yeah in many ways i mean it, it can feels be, good just like the simple act of like breathing that fast mm -hmm. it's pretty cool in and some ways it feels like it's the most punk aspect of the sound is your voice it has that old yeah, school that makes sense yeah, I was, so I was like two when I told my mom I wanted to be the singer of a band when I grew up. And I like never, it's not like I was then turned four and said I'm going to be a baseball player or something. It's like, I told her that when I was two and when I was eight and 10 and 12 and 28 and 35 and whatever. Like, it's just like, I'm very blessed that like at two years old, I just knew exactly what I wanted to do. And um, I don't know if many people have that sort of luck um or that stick to it or grace i know i feel lucky i feel like uh i was able to get a really early head start because i just never wanted to do anything else um well and the other takeaway for me besides the voice being mm -hmm. the, the singular element of the band that is is your writing mm -hmm. right and so i feel like you know, it's i don't you guys wouldn't be the same thing if you were an instrumental band right, i wouldn't have the same gravity to me there's 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 stories mm -hmm. there's a, a lyrical um gravity to joan of arc and to, yeah. your, to your work as a whole that i don't know if it if it predates or it it post seeds the music part of it you writing poems before lyrics or are you writing yeah they're written separate it's really like um 
me and uh, Jenny, who you met, have been up. You know, we've been like waking up at like 6 a.m. and we like start working on stuff by like 6.30. And then by like about 8.30 last night, we were like went out for sushi and we were both kind of like grumpy and we're like okay we got to get out of the house we're gonna get like a nice meal and like celebrate that i finished this book and um and and she was like you know i i just need to know that like every couple days we can take an hour break and i was like yeah right um and then we came home and it's saturday night and we both just like kept making beats until 2 a.m and like it's I don't ever want to do anything else. Like I'm actually a huge failure professionally. If you, if anyone was to ever see the ratio of effort to reward, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't feel like effort in the sense that like, I have no interest in like meeting anyone's kids or like seeing a movie or like going out to eat with old friends or like, getting a drink with someone like I only work and um so in terms of the words and the songs it's a way for me to like okay I just like spent a couple hours working on this thing but if I switch gears I feel like I'm working on something else and it's still productive towards the same ends and then I switch gears back and it's they're both fresh you know so it's just a way to like maybe like how a boat moves straight ahead by like it's a rotor you know turning back and forth um so like i have um this will sound ridiculous but i have a 300 page document at the moment that's a 240 page document that is like the phrases that will start the next songs so when we like start recording songs then i just kind of like moan along and get like melodies and then I listen back to the melodies and just go th through this 240 page document at the moment where I just find a phrase and it's like oh that phrase sticks with that melody oh that one too and then it's just sort of like fills in between there so it's just, I pin down whatever I can and then and that's pleasure for you that's that's oh my god yeah joy from yeah that right <laughs> honestly Process. i yeah i can't i can't insist enough how little i'm interested in everything that isn't playing music <laughs> like if when other stuff comes up it's just like i have to appreciate it through the filter like if someone's like oh maybe it'd be fun to cook a meal or like i have to think about like well think about this in terms of making a record you know it's like I don't, yeah <laughs> Cooking a meal, not not as much pleasure in the no, you act know, of the joy of cooking. If it was thing. like totally left up to me, as it is for years at a time, I will eat most of my meals walking down the street with one hand. Like I'm just like not interested. Part of the motivation is like sheer terror that I'm going to be homeless at some point. Okay. And also like it's a little late for me to get another job. <laughs> so I need like something to like, you know, I need my ship to come in in some way. Not that I'm like writing music for like a, you know, soundtrack to Titanic two or something, but like, right. um, there is definitely the sort of like, well, if I'm getting away without working right now, I need to be like doing my best at this.
Yeah. Um, Do you ever, you know, think there would be some sort of Works Progress Administration program that would have a stipend for artists? Oh. <laughs> <government> <laughs> might. Um, I'd heard that about the New Zealand bands back in the 80s. Oh, I mean, like, like, you know, you could get on the dole and be a musician and right, it's, right. the state pays for it. And it's like, you know, it's not a lot, but it's enough to support your art. But there's yeah, also yeah. this precariousness or of being in the U.S. And if you're, you know, if yeah. you don't have commercial success, no, you don't really have room to be an artist. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Though the other element of it, though, is... Um, like, yeah, biography, I think, has a lot to do with it in terms of, like, uh, you know, I've, I've had friends that are, like, way more naturally gifted musicians than I am who've, like, never been able to get it together. And, they you know, they have a hundred times the, you know, intuitive uh, musical talent and chops that I do, but it's, like... Um, yeah, I don't know if it's pig-headedness on my part or if it's just like a, that in the end it's not really about those chops anyways. So it's about, uh, it's almost like, you know, if a song is like a, like a event in the world, right? And everyone has a camera on their phone and the musician is like everyone who's pointing their phone at the same event, but they've know to frame it differently you know it's like i think I, i've just gotten good at framing i've gotten good at like framing and like right. lining up the angles in a way that looks uh engaging you know um and you think that's practice habit that's yeah totally how do you find excitement where do you find inspiration in oh what, know, what books or records? I don't know. I, there's a lot of books and a lot of records in my life. Um, yeah, every day there's a lot of books and a lot of records. So I don't know. Is That's that, how I found excitement. And that keeps you engaged with your process or just something to hear when you're not yeah, doing your process? a lot process? of marijuana. That helps there's a, too. There's a lot of marijuana, a lot of books, a lot of records. Wonderful. Yeah. When I put it that way, I really feel like I... Uh, made it according to my 13-year-old self's idea of what I want to do when I grow up. I must have been born hanging out. I must have been conceived hanging out. And I know I'm gonna die by hanging. All along unknowingly, I'd acted out the plan. you enjoyed today's podcast we'll be back soon with more in-depth interviews featuring artists engineers and professionals from all across the music industry thanks for listening to signal path